Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Germany in Focus, the local's weekly podcast all about the big talking points and news across the country. This week, we're going to hear about rising consumer prices in Germany and how they are affecting daily life. And we'll give you some practical tips on saving money while doing your food shopping. We're going to look into why the German government's plans to overhaul unemployment benefits with a new system called Bürgergeld have hit a massive hurdle. Then we'll hear an update on why some COVID rules in parts of Germany are changing or could be changing soon. We're then going to talk about how people in Germany, as well as politicians and rights groups, are thinking about the World Cup being held in Qatar. And we'll hear from Germany's sports correspondent, Dan Whiten, who will be covering the event over there. And lastly, just for a bit of fun, we'll talk about the different stages that foreigners go through when trying to learn German and talk about a recent ranking showing how well Germans speak English. I'm Rachel Loxton and I'm here with journalists Aaron Burnett and Sarah McGill in Berlin. Hello, everyone. Hi, Rachel. Hello. Are you well? Very well, thank you. Definitely. Good. So we're recording this on Wednesday, November the 16th. And this is actually a public holiday in Germany, but only in the eastern state of Saxony. Sarah, what can you tell us about this regional holiday? Uh, well, it's an old Christian holiday called Bus und Betttag, or the Day of Prayer and Repentance, which goes all the way back to the Middle Ages, uh, when people would come together to pray and confess their sins. Uh, it actually used to be a national holiday until 1995, but now it's only a day off for those lucky people in Saxony. Which is why we're here working. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's move on. Let's talk about something that everyone is facing at the moment, the rising price of food and other products. Adam, surely you've noticed your shopping bill going up at the supermarket. Oh, definitely. Uh, no huge surprise there. But the biggest things I'm noticing are things that I buy a lot. Eggs and yogurt, for sure. Also, meat and veggies. Um, I'm noticing uh, those are more expensive. Not always on an individual grocery run, but when you take all the receipts together for what you spend, say, over a week, it's definitely noticeable. Yeah, absolutely. So we know inflation has been rising for months now. It was at 10.4% in Germany for October compared to the same month last year. But it feels worse, Aaron. Why? That's because in many cases it is. <laughs> um, we have a survey out recently that uh, charted Germans' inflationsgefühl, so literally what they feel the inflation rate actually is. So keeping in mind that 10.4%, what it was in October, is the average of a lot of different things that you end up buying. And that's the statistical rate. But Germans actually feel, uh, according to this survey, as if the inflation rate is actually 27%, so much, much, much higher. And the reason for that, when you think about it, is pretty understandable. And that's simply because uh, survey takers will note that you tend to 
associate your feeling of the inflation rate with what you buy the most. So if we look at groceries, those are going up at a much higher rate than the average rate of inflation, 10%. So those eggs uh, that I mentioned earlier and the yogurt that I buy, well, eggs and dairy are up 28%. And then meat and veggies are up anywhere between 20 and 23%, depending on what you're talking about. Butter is even up 50%, for example. So we're seeing some really, really, really big changes in your grocery basket. Yeah, and and so 10.4% is the average inflation rate, but the actual increases on certain items is actually much more. And if you're buying them all the time, that's why it feels like. That's why it feels like it's worse than it is, yeah. I get it. And you're not buying beef so much because it's so much more expensive. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm. that's a big one that I notice. I buy a lot less of it. Chicken and fish are up as well, but it seems to be a little bit less noticeable. So I do buy more of those at the moment, yeah. So why are there such big differences in cost increases? Well, the war in Ukraine is a big part of that. Food producers have to contend with higher energy costs. But also, uh, Ukraine is an agricultural powerhouse uh, that supplies much of the world with grain and other crops. And at times, it's been difficult to impossible to get those out because of fighting and because of Russian blockades. Ultimately, that kind of shock to the world's supply of things like grain and other crops pushes up those prices worldwide. And those are used in the foods that we buy at the grocery store, yes, but they're also used quite crucially in animal feed, for example. So if it's more expensive to feed the chickens that are laying your eggs, your eggs are going to be more expensive. Uh, And the push to become independent of Russian energy means that we're still seeing big hikes in those prices. Gas for your car or petrol is up over 20% and heating oil is up 83% or so. Sarah, you've been putting together some tips on how to save money when getting your groceries uh, in Germany. Can you share some advice? Yeah, so one of the main things, which is not only good for saving money, but it's also good for the environment, is to buy products that are in season at the moment in Germany. These tend to be cheaper because they don't have to be kept in cold storage and they also don't have to be transported long distances. So right now that's things like squashes, leeks, cabbages, apples, pears. And if you can, it's also worth going to a local food market to try and pick up fresh produce as this also tends to be cheaper than in the big supermarkets. Uh, if you if you do a search online for saison calendar or seasonal calendar, you will find lots of websites telling you which fruits and veg are in season at different times of the year, which is actually really interesting. Another good habit to get into is to compare prices by weight and not just by the retail price that's most prominently on display because you can be misled into thinking something's cheaper than it actually is. So my tip is to look closely at the price information on the shelf and look at the price per kilo, which is usually there. And I would also say planning meals in advance, taking into consideration which products are more expensive at the moment, like Aaron said, meat and eggs, dairy products, and try to plan meals that don't incorporate those ingredients and go to the supermarket with a shopping list. Yeah, good tips. And I would also add to see if you can get a a payback card or a payback carte. Uh, Some German supermarkets have them and you can build up points with them. So they're quite good in the long run. If you're you're shopping all the time, then you'll get some money off at some point. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And Sarah mentioned, of course, local markets that tend to have more in-season produce, for example, which can be a bit more affordable. So if you live in a place that has a good Turkish market, those are usually uh, good places to go to for that sort of thing. 
Yes. And Sarah, have your habits changed at all when you're shopping? Yeah, I would say that I'm definitely paying more attention to food prices and then going for cheaper options. I'm taking shopping lists. I'm trying to not be led by flights of fancy, but but sticking (laughs) to the things I actually need. And yeah, I'm also paying attention to this kilo price. Guys, I have to know, what is your German supermarket of choice? Well, Lidl for a lot of everyday stuff, Edeka for some nicer cuts of meat and generally a good wine selection, very important, of course, and Reva for fancy dinners with hard-to-find ingredients like Christmas when it's one of the places where you can get a turkey, which is a bit hard to find in Germany, actually. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's Reva that is my general go-to place because it's nearest to me. And also, I have a payback carter and uh, <laughs> I, I save points. Well, it, it feels good, at least, even if it doesn't add up to such huge savings in the end. I have to say that Penny, the discounter supermarket, <laughs> is my favorite <laughs> supermarket in Germany because there, there are good deals It's the closest one to me. And guys, you'll never believe this, but the staff are really, really friendly. Wow. Yeah, that's that's huge bonus points. Yeah. I mean, cashiers in Germany are known for being super, super fast at getting through your products. And there's never any small talk. I'm right in saying that, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they're amazing. They are faster (laughs) than... Yeah, they (laughs) they could compete with some Olympians with how fast they go, it feels like. Super, super, super fast. Well, uh, my cashiers in Penny, they also give a bit of small talk. So, you know, that's great. That's lovely. So thank you so much for those. Um, We'll include these articles, which have lots more tips and information in the show notes so you can check them out. Let's move on to a big political story that's been unfolding in Germany. We're talking Burgergeld, that means citizens' allowance or income. And that's what the coalition government has been pushing for to replace the long-term unemployment benefit in Germany, which is known as Hartz Fear. Sarah, first of all, can you give us a few more details on what this citizens' allowance is all about? Yeah, so it's an initiative from the coalition government, which is spearheaded by the Labour Minister Hubertus Heil from the Social Democrats, which is aimed at creating a fairer system for long-term unemployment benefits by shifting to a system of encouragement rather than sanctions. So more of a carrot than a stick approach, if you like. Um, And under the new plans, benefits recipients will get €50 more a month, which is not such a huge increase. But the major changes are in terms of sanctions. So for the first six months, claimants will enjoy a Vertrauensite or a trust period where they won't face sanctions, which means cuts to their benefits, if they don't show up to an appointment, for example, or if they decide not to take a reasonable job offer if they don't want it. So that's quite a big change. And also, they will be able to keep up to €60,000 in assets and savings and not have to downsize their homes for the first two years of receiving the benefit. Okay, and it was meant to come into force from January next year, and that was passed by the German Bundestag, but not by the Bundesrat, which represents the states. Is that correct, Sarah? What What's happened? That is correct. The bill had passed in the Bundestag, the, the federal parliament, but it was voted down in the Bundesrat, which is made of representatives from the state governments, and that is because... There are a lot of members in the in the Bundesrat who which belong to the Christian Democrats, which is the biggest opposition party in the government. 
and they refused to approve the bill. They've been voicing opposition for months and they got their chance to vote it down and they did it. Right. And so why don't they want this change? So why is it controversial? So the CDU are in favour of increasing basic payments to keep up with inflation at least. But what they're very strongly against are some of these more laid back measures as they see them as disincentivising people to look for work. So one of the main sticking points for the CDU is this initial six-month trust period. Marcus Suda from the CSU, the Bavarian state leader, said it's completely absurd, especially as there's, a, there's quite a critical labour shortage in Germany at the moment, and this could disincentivise people to, to get back to work. And there's also been a lot of criticism about the amount of assets that people are allowed to keep hold of. CDU members have said this is antisocial and it's not fair on people who pay into the tax system by going to work. Okay, and does this mean that Burgergeld won't actually happen then? Not necessarily. Now there will be a mediation committee, which is made up of equal parts members of the Bundestag and the Bundesrat, and they will try to find a compromise by the end of November. The Labour Minister, Hubertus Heil, has said that he's hoping for a quick mediation session and that they will reach a compromise. So it, it could be that we see a more watered-down version of the Burgergeld plans. Let's go back a little bit. Aaron, this all seems a bit confusing because the Social Democrats brought Hart's fear into Germany way back in 2002, and now they want to get rid of it. What is going on? Well, Hart's fear was definitely Gerhard Schroeder's signature policy. He, of course, was the last Social Democrat uh, chancellor that we had before Olaf Scholz way back uh, before 2005 uh, when Angela Merkel was elected. It's a bit strange to imagine it today, given how much Europe relies on a strong German economy. But back in the early 2000s, Germany was known as the sick man of Europe economically with less than stellar growth and investment rates. Schroeder felt that reforming welfare was necessary to changing that. Under Hatzfia, you can be sanctioned by having your benefits docked if you, for example, fail to show up to an appointment with your caseworker or if you don't apply for a job that they have flagged for you. A sizable wing of the Social Democrats who Schroeder led as chancellor were never really on board uh, with Hatzfia, even when it was originally passed way back in 2002. They argued even then that it was at odds with the caring welfare state uh, Germany is supposed to be and wanted a more compassionate model with fewer sanctions, which, of course, led eventually to today's Bürgergeld proposal. Mm-hmm. And, and this also seems like quite a big hurdle for the coalition government. Is it unusual for things not to pass in the Bundesrat? Do the 16 states have a lot of power in Germany? Well, Rachel, a German chancellor always has to have an eye not just on his or her Bundestag majority, but also their Bundesrat majority. And that changes with every state election because the new state government sends representatives from its parties. So some of our listeners maybe have been following U.S. midterm elections where you might have a majority in the upper chamber in the Senate, for example, that could change every two years. Now imagine you're living in a country with an upper chamber, in this case the Bundesrat in Germany, that where the majority could change multiple times in a year, like every few months with every new state election, the state government sends representatives each time. And we have uh, 
16 states in Germany. So we tend to have at least a couple of state elections every year. We have two coming up in 2023. We have uh, three coming up in 2024. So the Bundesrat can feel like a revolving door. And the Bundesrat has blocked things before. Uh, Perhaps one of the most interesting examples for our listeners is a dual citizenship proposal way back in 1999. Really? Yeah. The red-green government at the time had a Bundestag majority for allowing Germans to have dual citizenship with non-EU countries, but the Christian Democrats in the Bundesrat blocked it at the time. So here we are, 23 years later, waiting on a new draft law allowing dual citizenship that I'm sure many of our listeners are waiting to see pass. Really interesting. And do you think that could happen this time then with this dual citizenship law? Could could the Bundesrat block it? Well, the Christian Democrats, despite their uh, historic opposition to dual citizenship, have been a little bit less vocal this time about opposition to dual citizenship than they were in voicing their opposition to Bogegeld. So that's not uh, quite clear yet, but um, there's always that possibility. One to watch. We'll keep an eye on that. Really interesting stuff. And thank you both for that. Germany still has a few COVID rules in place. The big ones being that people need to isolate for at least five days or a maximum of 10 days if they get a positive test. And people have to wear FFP2 masks on public transport. But the rules, at least in some places, might be getting a bit more relaxed soon. Aaron, can you tell us more? Are we still going to have to wear face masks? Well, that depends on where in Germany you are, Rachel, because each one of Germany's 16 states, as we've just been talking about, (laughs) get to decide this themselves. Uh, And Schleswig-Holstein, for example, has said that it's not going to extend the mask requirement on public transport and is hoping that other states will join. So that means simply that when the current rules expire after this winter or towards the end of the year, it's not going to renew them. So if you live Live in Schleswig-Holstein, you'll be wearing the mask for a little while longer yet, but spring 2023, for example, will be a different story. No other state has said they're following suit just yet, but I wouldn't be surprised to see a few more join soon. And what about mandatory isolation? Because I've been reading that that could be changing in some states. And that's one of the reasons I wouldn't be surprised to see the mask requirement go away in a few other places. Because Schleswig-Holstein, again, Baden-Württemberg, Bavaria and Hesse are dropping mandatory isolation for people who have COVID. Others, though, are advising caution. Uh, including Lower Saxony in Berlin. So this is highly state-specific. So then it becomes voluntary in in these states. So you may be encouraged to isolate, but it doesn't become the... It's not the law to yeah, isolate. Yeah, you're not required to do it. And the same thing is true um, with with masks. Some of these states are saying that they are in favor of replacing mask requirement with a mask recommendation. Mm-hmm. Makes mm-hmm. sense. So what's the reaction to this been from the German health minister? So federal health minister Karl Lauterbach has rebuffed a request from Bavaria to update the isolation guidelines that the Robert Koch Institute uses. Ultimately, though, the federal justice minister says that, yeah, Lauterbach can uh, keep those RKI guidelines if he wants to. He has the power to do this, but he doesn't have the power to actually stop federal states from just overriding them if that's what they want to do. So it's up to the states. It is. Do we have an idea of what the general COVID situation is like in Germany at the moment and going forward further into winter, Sarah? Well, weekly incidence numbers, 
that's the number of new infections per 100,000 people have been falling week on week for some time now. So most experts and politicians are no longer seeing the health threat posed by the virus itself as the biggest problem. It's more that the infection numbers of staff in hospitals is causing problems. In Lower Saxony, for example, the incidence of weekly hospitalizations and the proportion of beds occupied by COVID patients are the two key benchmarks for deciding which COVID measures to bring in and not this weekly incidence number that we've been using in Germany for some time now. So yeah, it's really, I think in terms of the general population, numbers are going down, it's less concerning. The concern is more keeping an eye on the situation in hospitals, staffing-wise. Okay. And are either of you bothered about the face mask rules? I I personally don't mind wearing one on the U-Bahn or buses. What do you guys think? I'm also happy to wear one on public transport, especially when it's busy. But otherwise, I'm, I'm not that fussed. Ultimately, if you don't end them after this winter, when are you going to end them? And 80% of the population, or close to 80, is vaccinated, and you can walk into a pharmacy now and get a vaccine. So access isn't an issue, and we don't require masks anywhere else. I personally won't be sorry to see them go. Okay, well, let's see what happens this winter, and we'll include all the links in our show notes on these stories. Our Germany in Focus podcast is completely free to listen to, but it's made possible by people becoming members of the local Germany. If you're not yet a member, you can support us by heading to thelocal.de and subscribing with the reduced rate for podcast listeners at thelocal.de forward slash podcast offer. Now, the World Cup starts on Sunday and this year... Die Mannschaft, that's the German team, are in the competition. But the event has been surrounded in controversy for years. Qatar, which is hosting the event, has been criticised over its human rights record, including the treatment of foreign workers and its stance on women's and LGBTQ rights. Last week, a big story emerged in Germany when the Qatari World Cup ambassador Khalid Salman called homosexuality a damage in the mind in a German TV interview. And that comment was condemned by the German sports minister and others. Aaron, what's some of the reaction in Germany to the Qatar World Cup? Well, some German celebrities and members of the Bundestag have been calling for a boycott of the contest, saying they won't watch it or buy official merchandise. The German national team itself has a history of publicly sporting rainbow colors at press conferences and even during games, actually. Uh, And many players have been very outspoken in the past about their support for LGBT rights. This time, we've already heard from Leon Goretzka, who plays both on the national team and midfield for Bayern Munich, saying that that comment that it's a damage in the mind is unacceptable. LGBT rights groups in Germany are telling LGBT people in Germany to also avoid traveling to Qatar out of concerns for their own safety, and they want the government to go further than that. Uh, One of Germany's main LGBT rights groups, the Lesbian and Gay Association, says fans should boycott the event. And the government should also issue a travel warning for lesbians and gays not to go there, which might help some get some travel insurance, for example, for a cancelled trip. The association isn't calling for the team not to go, but that all diplomatic trips should be cancelled. So the team goes, but no government ministers and no diplomats or delegations go. Uh, Interior Minister Nancy Faeser was supposed to travel to Qatar, but we've heard reports recently that she is considering cancelling that trip. 
Let's hear now from Dan Whiten, the Germany sports correspondent for AFP. He's based in Berlin and heading to Qatar to cover the tournament. Ahead of Germany's first game against Japan on November 23rd, I asked him what the feeling is like among German football fans. German football fans, they have quite an activist base, or at least there's a large part of the German football culture, which is quite activist. So going back several years now, you've had fan groups from a number of prominent teams, Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund, so big, big internationally known teams. The fans have, have spoken out against Qatar, and particularly in the last month or two in the lead up to the World Cup, they've unfurled banners uh, at games, calling for a boycott, mentioning the amount of guest workers who have died. And so there's a real movement, I guess, against Qatar and wanting to call, you know, to make it clear that they don't support the World Cup being held there and um, also don't support some of the uh, allegations against the Qatari state. Interesting. And I've heard from at least one bar in Berlin that says that they're not going to show the games at all. They're not going to show any of the World Cup games. Have you heard of anything similar happening in bars in Berlin or across Germany? Bars, not just across, not just in Berlin, but across Germany have decided to boycott the World Cup and not just bars that you would expect, regular regular bars, but but football bars who kind of make a living off showing the games. There's been, uh, there's a movement from uh, Catapult magazine, which is a, a German um, satirical magazine that they got on board about 55, I think it was, 55 bars across the country, about five or six in, in Berlin, who have signed up and then not just won't be broadcasting the games, but they'll be uh, holding events alongside the games. So, for example, there's a bar in Berlin called Fargo, which will have speakers talking about the human rights situation in Qatar. They'll also have an event speaking about football under under Franco, under the uh, Spanish dictator, and how he used football kind of as a tool. And then obviously drawing parallels with sports washing and what people believe Qatar is doing. So, this is, it's not not the standard thing. The vast majority of football bars will be showing the football and will be open for the games as they usually would. But this is the first kind of example of this that's ever happened. There wasn't any widespread boycotts in Russia or in Brazil or any of the other World Cups. So it's really the first time we've seen something like that. But I imagine many football fans are going to Qatar from Germany. Have you spoken to any of them? Do they have mixed feelings? I have spoken to a couple of fans who are going. The vast majority of football fans I've spoken to, they might be watching on TV, but they never considered going to Qatar. Um, those mm-hmm. who I, I did speak to, a couple who are going there, they said that they don't them going there isn't support of what the allegations against Qatar are supposed to have happened. But They've also called into question things like the awarding of the World Cup to Russia in 2018 or the way in which, you know, even when Germany held the World Cup in 2006, that there was allegations of bribery in the lead up to that. So basically saying that the argument put forward by these football fans that I've spoken to is that, well, there hasn't really been a clean World Cup for some time. So mm-hmm. so why are we focusing mm-hmm. so much on Qatar? And that's at least what they've how they've justified it, I suppose, to themselves. And do you think that fans who maybe have said they're not going to watch the games. If Germany gets far in the tournament, do you think they'll watch them at home? To be completely honest, I think that that I think all of the bars who have said they're not going to show it, they they're not going to change their mind. I mean, that would be a huge PR thing, especially when a lot of these bars have put up boycott Qatar paraphernalia around and stuff like that. But I do think that football fans who might say right now that they don't agree with it, that you know, there will be a percentage of them who, if Germany goes far, if all of a sudden there's a great atmosphere, if your friends are watching it and they say, hey, come on down, we're having a party. Mm -hmm. I I do feel that people will get swept up in it. I think the people who really say that they're going to boycott 
harshly, then they'll stick to that. But I think there's quite a few casual fans who say, ah, well, it's not really my thing, but if Germany goes far, they might jump on the bandwagon just towards the end. Yeah, tricky situation. And have any of the German players themselves commented on any of the kind of political things surrounding the tournament? Yeah, the German team has been pretty vocal over the years. And uh, I mean, the, the DFL, so the German Football Federation, has uh, made several statements, you know, calling into question some of the allegations that have been made against Qatar and what the Qatari state has done in the lead up to the World Cup. You had earlier this year, Joshua Kimmich, who's kind of the star player. He plays for Bayern Munich in, in Germany. He's spoken out about it a couple of times, but he also said that calls for a boycott should have happened 10 years ago when the World Cup was awarded. And it's a bit too late now. And then when you had the Qatari football ambassadors say, I think it was last week that you know, homosexuality is a disease in the head or something. So I can't exactly remember what the exact statement was, but came out and said something like uh, something like that. And then you had the German captain, Manuel Neuer, spoke out last week and said that that's not a sentiment we support and that it's uh, kind of abhorrent and, and rejecting that in all forms. And then you'll have as well, Germany and several other European countries will wear, a, a, I think it's called a One Love rainbow armband on the field as a, as a symbol of, I guess, solidarity with the LGBTQ plus movement. But by and large, these kind of um, statements have been relatively uh, strongly stage managed and, and not, you know, players aren't saying a lot to journalists, just generally the DFL and the German Football Federation is very careful to make sure they say things in the right mm -hmm. way. Okay, so let me ask you about the football. It's now. So Germany's first game is next week against Japan. How are they looking? Do you think they are going to do well in this tournament? I think, um, yeah, so Germany, uh, Germany plays their first game against Japan. The last two tournaments, Germany did very poorly. So a consequence of that is that expectations are very low. And so I think usually the kind of the expectation is that Germany will get to the semifinals. Germany's, I think, in the last two decades has made the semifinals in all but one or two tournaments. So it's, it's kind of the standard point, I suppose, for Germany to go to. I think because of being eliminated at the group stage, in Russia four years ago and then a poor showing at the Euros. You've had a new coach come in, Hansi Flick, and uh, I think just getting Germany to play relatively well and cohesively and perhaps getting to the quarterfinals would be seen as a success for him and anything more than that would be a bonus. I feel like they, they have a really good uh, nucleus to the team, but up against some of the other bigger teams. I mean, France have an amazing squad. I think France is one of the favourites and then Brazil as well just seem to have, you know, you look through their list and there's you can't believe that they seem to have every great attacker from every football team across the world all in the one squad. So if Germany made it to their semi-final point, which has been their kind of standard for the last couple of decades, that would be seen as a success. Stay safe in Qatar. Good luck. And thank you so much for talking to us. Thanks very much. We'll be back after this short break. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. 
And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Okay, we're going to talk about language now and the different stages that foreigners go through when trying to learn German. Sarah, what do you think some of the stages are? Well, the first one I would say is definitely terror. Um, <laughs> when you realise like, just what a huge challenge it is going to be to learn this extremely difficult language full of absurdly long words and very difficult grammar. So I would say that's, <laughs> that's firmly number one. Another one of the stages along the way, which I definitely went through, was obsession. And that was when my apartment was just full of post-it notes with prepositions and different verbs and, and the gendered words all over my kitchen, I remember, for about six months. That was definitely a strong one. Uh, Dirty dust all over your kitchen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the f- stage that I'm at now, that I think most of us are probably at now after after having learned the language for some number of years, is acceptance. Which <laughs> it's like grief. It's, it, yeah, last stage of grief there. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean... Yeah, exactly. It's, I mean, and it's acceptance of the fact that probably you're never going to speak German 100% perfectly, but you do it pretty damn well. And, you know, and also accepting that you will have to keep learning. You will always discover new words like you probably will in your native language as well. It never ends. Very true. So what's your top tip that you give someone who's feeling a little downhearted with learning German? Uh, get drunk and forget about the grammar sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, it works. <laughs> you know, go to a party with some Germans and have some beer or some wine and then just it'll it'll come. When you allow yourself to simply talk without getting hung up on whether you're saying something 100% perfectly, that's when the magic starts to happen a lot of the time. And with practice, you begin to iron out those mistakes later anyway after you've developed more confidence and command. Wise words. Yeah. Has there been any moment that you've realized Wow, I got this. I'm impressed by my German language skills, Sarah. Well, yeah, for me, a bit of a boast here. When I passed my driving theory test in German, I give, gave myself a pretty hearty pat on the back. I feel like you should boast away. That sounds iconic. That is, sounds really hard. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was challenging. Probably when I could finally understand a speech by the Austrian chancellor and really follow along with it. We're used to high German or Hochdeutsch uh, here, and the Austrian accent can be a tough one to crack. So I felt a real sense of achievement being able to finally to finally do that. Absolutely. I, I feel like as part of daily life, when you're able to nail some of the conversations you have about bureaucracy or when you realize you really come far in your German language journey, when you can talk to the handyman or woman or in the burger aunt. When you go to the burger aunt <laughs> yeah. helping out a new person. <laughs> oh, yeah. Exactly. And you walk in there and you're like, I got this. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. We'll be translating today. <laughs> Exactly. That's when you know that you've really nailed it. So we've been talking about our ability to speak German, but there was a study this week about how well Germans can speak English. Aaron, can you tell us about it? So the EF English Proficiency Index, as it's called, ranks Germans as having a generally very high proficiency in English, and it ranks them 10th out of 111 
countries for English proficiency in 2022. Uh, the Nordics, the Netherlands, Belgium, Austria, Singapore, and Portugal do come in ahead of Germans here, but it is still in the very top tier of non-English speaking countries in the world for English proficiency. What is also interesting to note here is that if we look at some of the big European countries, so France, Italy, Spain, none of the three of them actually come in the top 30. And here's Germany sitting in, in 10th. So out of the big countries, Germany has by far the best result. And I'd say that's about right. Uh, people from those small countries we talked about often have subtitles on their TV shows rather than dubbing, uh, as mm -hmm. Germany does. And the level of English reflects that, in my experience anyway. Um, there's no denying that many Germans have an impressive command of English. But that said, there's some differences I notice sometimes based on education or class or age. Your doctor might be able to speak uh, to you in English, but sometimes the nurses assisting him or her might not be able to, for example. Um, if your repair technician can speak to you in English, they're probably pretty young in my experience, for example. Mm, yeah, that that's so interesting. I always think that Germans love to speak English. If they are learning English, they will always want to talk English with you. And when you are learning German, you kind of have to state that you want to continue in German. Well, I, I'd say in some ways don't take it personal because, I mean, they're wanting to practice your language with you and you're wanting to practice their language with them, right? Absolutely. Same kind of thing. Okay, so that's all for this week. Thank you very much to our lovely listeners and we'll add some links in the show notes for the topics we've been covering. Thank you to this week's panellists, Sarah McGill and Aaron Burnett, as well as Dan Whiting and sound engineer Reese Edwards. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter. Our username is Germany in Focus. And please rate us, leave a review about the podcast if you enjoyed it on your podcast app. I'm Rachel Loxton, and we'll be back again next Friday with another episode of Germany in Focus. Until then, take care. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.